0: power of faith. It, it, it forgives our sins. It makes us new people in Christ. It brings us into God's family. It renews us. And the scripture teaches that faith in God's grace is what sets us free. That's what we're talking about today. We kind of began talking about this theme last week, and we're carrying on today as we look at Galatians chapter 5. Um, question for you this morning. When do you feel most free? Can you identify a Context in your life, a relationship in your life, a location in your life, uh, some place in your life where you feel most free. I want you to just get a hold of that idea. What does it feel like to feel free? I want you to feel that emotion this morning. I want you to think about that because we're definitely talking about spiritual freedom. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes in church, it feels like when we talk about concepts like freedom, we think about them. Theologically or theoretically, and not personally. I just want you to get a hold of that idea. Of what does it mean to feel free? In Galatians 5, verse 1, Paul writes, it was for freedom that Christ sent you free, that Jesus came to set you free so that you can be free. In John 8, 36, Jesus said, so if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus wants us, to be free. Jesus wants us to experience spiritual freedom. Jesus wants us to walk in that spiritual freedom. So when do you feel most free? Can you identify that? If you can, write it down in your sermon notes. There's a little blank there next to that question. When do you feel most free? Just think about that. For me, I I think, you know, I, I, for some reason, feel free when I'm outside. For me, like floating in the ocean, that's a feeling of freedom to me, running on a path Skiing down a mountain, those experiences feel free to me. When do you feel most free? That word "free" in Greek, in Galatians chapter five verse one, alethero, is uh, it really literally means to exempt from a liability? Like I was indebted, and now I've been exempted from that liability. To uh, to be liberated from something that held us, to be uh, released from an obligation. Do you know that feeling? Like I had this giant to-do list and then the boss came and said, I'll oh, just forget about that and enjoy your weekend. Does that ever happen to you? That's not happened to me yet, but I, I've got dreams. But you know, like, oh, I'm just free. All of that's gone, right? Like I had this debt and it's just gone. I had this obligation. It's just gone. Have you, have you experienced that kind of freedom? Now, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul is speaking to people who he witnessed, he watched, become spiritually free. When he first got to Galatia, this is two years earlier, 47 AD, he's now writing 49 AD, 47 AD, he visited these four little towns and he saw these Gentile folks who were enslaved to their idol worship. They worshiped Galatian and Greek and Roman idols. They gave their life to these things that had no life themselves or any ability to give life. And they were confined by this theological misunderstanding. He watched them come alive and be set free as he announced the good news of Christ, that God loved them so much that he sent his only son in this world, that Christ died to liberate them from sin and death, that Christ raised from the dead to give them a new life, and that the Holy Spirit right now was coming and filling their lives and they, he watched as they came alive spiritually. But in the next two years, in the last you know 18 months to two years, he's watched them slip back into slavery, not this time to uh, idol worship, but to a legalistic religion that's seeping into their faith. Their faith is being pushed out, and instead it's being replaced with a legalistic religion. Traditions of people, uh, rules that have been imposed on them, or that they're imposing on others, and Paul's like, "No, you know, you're 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 missing the point. You've replaced one idol with another. You've taken one human focus, self-justifying, self-righteous religion, and replaced it with another form of human focus, self-justifying, self-righteous religion. You can be free." And so Paul, in Galatians 5, 1 through 14, is going to share with them three practices of spiritual freedom. And the main idea here is that it's for freedom that Christ set us free. Christ set us free. Three practices for living free in Christ. Anybody need a little more freedom in their lives? Anybody wish they could just have that experience again? I mean, I'm thinking just human freedom. I just love to feel Free But that spiritual freedom, what it was like when you were a kid and you went on that retreat and the Holy Spirit came into your life, or what it was like when you first heard about Jesus and you accepted Jesus' as grace and you found out that God's not angry with you, that God loves you, that God's with you right now, That, 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 that sense of, I'm a child of God. It's going to be okay. I'm, I'm okay with God, that all of this stuff that the, the world puts on me is nothing. But who I am in Christ is everything. Well, Paul gives us three practices to produce spiritual freedom. And the first one is this, to stand firm on faith. That's the first blank in your sermon notes, the room number one, to stand firm on faith. Let me read verses 1 through 6 for us. This is Galatians five one through 6. It says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ is of no benefit to you. I testify again to every man who receives circumcision, he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You've been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything but faith working through love. Paul says, stand firm on faith. It's for freedom's sake that Christ set you free. Therefore, stand firm. Keep standing firm. Keep standing firm. The word there is stecho, It means to hold your position. It's like a military that's trying to hold a place against an onslaught. Someone's coming and pushing against us, but we are holding. There are forces in this world that are trying to push us off of faith. There are people in this world that are trying to knock us off of this faith in God's grace. There are systems in this world that, if they can, will re-inflave uh, us. And so Paul says, stand firm on faith holding firm to faith, not accepting that yoke of slavery. All of us probably know what a yoke is, but I put a picture here for us just in case. Um, but most of us probably know what a, a yoke is. A yoke is an instrument. It's a tool. It's an it's a implement which was designed to take the work, the effort, the strength of the oxen and to transfer it to the use of the farmer, typically in the first century to plow a field or to pull a wagon. It went around the oxen's neck uh, and then uh, over their shoulders, and it, it was to secure their strength so it could be used for the farmer's purposes. It was really the prevailing technology in the first century agrarian culture. In an agrarian world where Farms historically had been very small, only what a, a person or a family could till or could cultivate by hand. Now the yoke allows them to cultivate much more. So the farms could go from an acre to 10 acres because, because you, you've got this yoke. It's a technology to allow them to utilize the strength of the oxen for the farmer's purposes. Of course, Paul is using it metaphorically, but I just want you to get a hold of this metaphor. I just want you to think about for a moment, what are the implements, the technologies, the tools in your life, in our day and age, in our world, that we utilize to take our strength, our creativity, our time, our energy, and utilize it for some other purpose that our boss put over us to to take our strength and utilize it for the company's purpose. The the tools, the technology, the the implements, the 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 the, the technologies that 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 confine us, that hold us, that allow us to to to. uh, our strength to be used for a a bigger purpose. For me, one of those tools is is here in my pocket. It's It's a technology, it's a tool, it's an instrument that allows my time, my effort, my work to be multiplied, to be used for different purposes. It's really an amazing technology, like the yoke was in the first century. I, on this phone, have my Bible app. Every morning it will read to me my Bible reading for the day and there's a place where I can share comments that other people can see. I've got my calendar. I've got two different calendars. I've got my work calendar. I've got my home calendar. And then my home calendar. I've got my family's calendars I can put on there. I can keep track of all my responsibilities, all my family's responsibilities. Right here. And uh, this. I've got my personal email. I've got my church email. I can keep in touch with it. I can get texts through here. I got the Christchurch app on here, which if you don't have, you need the Christchurch app. During the 9.30 service, I was sitting over there, and Tony said, hey, it's time to register your attendance, fill out your connection card. There's a QR code behind me. And so I pulled up on my phone, my, my picture app, and I held it up, pointed at the screen behind us, because my sermon notes are different than yours. I don't have the sermon notes to have the QR code on. I hold, held up there, and you know what happened? Nothing, because it's too hazy in here. I tried for like three minutes as he was talking. I didn't listen to anything he said because I was like, why isn't it working? But I got the app on my phone. So then I just hit the app and the app said, do you want to connect? I said, I want to connect. I hit the connection card. I feel, it auto-filled most of the things because I've done this before and I'm done. It's an amazing technology. I've got over 4,000 contacts on this phone. Of course, I know they're not actually on this phone. They're on the on the cloud someplace, but I can get to 4,000 of my friends' information from this phone. I've got pictures, thousands of pictures of the last 20 years of my life. I only wish I had this when I was a kid, you know, because whenever I need a picture from before about 1996, I've got to go to Margaret and say, do you know what happened to, you know, but, but in the past 20 years, I got them all here. It's an amazing tool. It's amazing technology, but it can be a yoke. It can confine our lives. It can hold our lives. It can keep us from being free. And there's other yokes in our lives. Maybe the internet can be a yoke in your life. Maybe social media can be a yoke in your life. Maybe streaming can be a yoke in your life. There's other things that this implements. Now you say, but pastor, so much good comes from this. I know. And if you were a farmer, a lot of good came from that yoke too. But if you were the oxen, less so, right? It controls you. It keeps you from what you were created for, in a sense. It utilizes your gifts, your skills, your strength, your ability for some other purpose. And some of these purposes are really good. But they can be controlling. Now, again, Paul's speaking metaphorically. He's not talking down physical yokes. He's not, Paul's a a follower of the gospel, not PETA. You know, he's not saying free the ox and get rid of the yokes. He's saying, you guys are slipping back under the chains, under the enslavement that I saw you in spiritually, and I see you slipping back into it. Don't do it. He's talking about circumcision, but he's talking about so much more than circumcision. Circumcision is initiating right into Judaism. Paul himself is circumcised. Paul himself is Jewish. He's not against circumcision. At the end of this passage, he says circumcision, uncircumcision, it's nothing. It means nothing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to God. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a mindset that says, I can appease God. I can Justify myself. I can make myself worthy of God's love and God's blessing. I can fix my own life. And Paul says, when you start down that path, that path leads to slavery. That path becomes a yoke. Whatever that is. It, it was the same thing when you were worshiping the idols. And it's the same thing now that you're taking on this legalistic religion. Paul says, stand firm on faith. Because the world And worldly religion are always going to be knocking us off of this belief. God's not angry with you. God loves you. God loves you so much he sent Jesus to die for you. God invites you to be part of his family. Right now, right where you are, God God justifies you. And God wants to send his Holy Spirit to sanctify you. Stand firm on that faith. It's not about you. It's, It's about Jesus and what he's doing to bring a kingdom into this world. And he invites you to be part of it. Stand firm on faith. That's the first practice of freedom in Christ, of staying free, of living free in Christ. The second practice of standing firm in freedom is to keep running towards Jesus. Jesus freed us so we would be free. And the second practice of that type of spiritual freedom is running towards Jesus. Keep running towards Jesus. Let me read it for you, verse 7 through 12. It says... You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I am confident in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Paul starts by saying, you were running well. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Paul liked using Athletic metaphors. If you've read the scriptures, you probably notice that Paul is oftentimes talking about beating the air or running the race or finishing strong. He's talking here about a runner running to a finish line. It's like you're running well, but you're not done yet. Keep it up, right? It's, a, it's an athletic metaphor. Because athletes have this unique ability to focus on a goal. The, 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 the great golfer can focus on that ball, and, and they can get that swing motion just right to bring all of their energy focused on moving that ball as straight and as far as they can. That's focus. The, the great baseball batter can focus on that pitch coming out of the pitcher's hand. And it's coming like 100 miles an hour, but they can pick up the way that that hand is shaped. The, the way that the hand holds the ball, because they're trying to figure out, is it a fastball, is it a breaking pitch? And they'll try to watch and see the way that the strings on the ball are turning, just like that. They've got that focus. A great quarterback can focus on the, on, on the defense, They'll watch the linebacker, and when they send someone in motion, they'll just see if the linebacker takes a step to the left, step to the right, step forward. And from that, they'll be able to discern. They'll know what type of defense the the defense is playing. They'll know who will be open and where they'll be open. The great athlete, runner, has the ability to run through the finish line. They know where the goal is. And so Paul says, keep running. Be like that athlete. Be focused. Focus where? Focus on Jesus. Now, I'm not a great athlete. You guys probably know that. I'm an aspiring athlete. I'm 53 years old, but I'm still aspiring to be an athlete. And a few years ago, I started running, trying to take better care of my physical body, this temple of God. And, uh, and so this past fall, some of you guys know, I ran my first half marathon. In the past few years, I've run some 5Ks, and some four milers. But this is the long, first long race I've run. Half marathon, 13.1 miles. I signed up for the Richmond half marathon. It claims to be America's friendliest marathon. Since I've, I, Again, I wasn't running the marathon 26.2. I was running the half marathon 13.1. But is, I've only run this one. So it's hard for me to attest uh, to whether it's the friendliest or not, but I kind of went in assuming it's going to be friendly. I didn't sign up for it because it was America's friendliest marathon. I signed up for it because it's relatively close to my home. But more importantly, it's run on a Saturday. Like 95% of marathons and half marathons are run on Sundays. That doesn't work for me. So I I signed up because it was on a Saturday. But friendly sounded good. And I kind of assumed it would be friendly anyways, because it's in Richmond. And maybe this is my bias, maybe this is my stereotype. But having grown up in Northern Virginia, My belief is that as you travel south, people tend to get friendlier. Until you hit Orlando, then they get angry again. (laughs) But from here to Orlando, people just get progressively friendlier, right? That's just my bias. Maybe that's not true. You can email me if you think it's different. But I just assumed that's what they meant. Like, we're friendly people. We're in Richmond. Come run our marathon. But they actually do things to try to make it friendly. And there's lots of examples of this, but I'll give you... The, the the one that stood out to me When you're running the half marathon, you get to about mile nine or 10, and you've turned back and you're headed back toward the finish line near where you started. And it comes down this street that they have closed, and there's a giant like grass median strip. So people come out, and they're kind of cheering for you as you run down this street. You've got about a mile and a half just straight down the street. And they've got all of these, you know, just like every marathon has tables set up with water or electrolytes or stuff, they've got all these tables set up and, and and. Stuff that they think is fun or friendly. So there's like a junk food station, and it's got candy and hostess cupcakes and ding dongs and stuff like that. At the junk food station, there's like a pickle juice station, which that, I don't even know what that would be like. I'm not interested in that at all. And those are official sta- stations, those are on the map, like. Mile nine and a half, when you hit this, you're going to get the junk food station, okay? But then there's these unofficial stations, like all the sponsors of the marathon, it seems like they set up their own station. So like one of the sponsors is like this vodka company, and they're out there giving away shots of vodka. Mile 10. It's friendly, right? It's not America's fastest marathon or America's healthiest marathon. It's America's friendliest marathon. And, they, and all these sponsors, they've got mascots dressed up and people are stopping and taking pictures with them. And it's a lot of fun. Every time someone stops and takes a shot of vodka, everybody cheers for them and stuff. Now, I'm not a drinker, so that didn't appeal to me at all, you know. The, the cupcakes looked really tempting. That, that would be me. But again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an aspiring athlete. So I'm running and I'm thinking, Todd, you got three more miles to go. Now is not the time for cupcakes, right? (laughs) But there's all these distractions that are trying to keep you. See, a great athlete has the ability. Again, I'm not a great athlete, but a great athlete has the ability to focus. And that's what Paul's saying to these Galatians is focus. You were running great. Mile one, mile two, mile three, mile four, mile five, mile six, mile seven, mile eight. You were running great what the heck, you just stopped and ate a ding-dong? <laughs> what are you thinking? Well, there were people there. They were cheering for me. They would say, take a shot. It was the... No. It's a race. You've got a destination. You're trying to get somewhere. So Paul's saying to them, focus on Jesus. Run through the finish line. What is this focus? It's a focus on, on grace. There's all these distractions in this world. Did I mention this phone? You know, there's all these distractions in this world. There's all these things that want to take our focus off of grace, off of Jesus, off of faith. That they're constantly will be calling to you and saying, try this, do this, figure this out, have this, you know, possess this, own this. There are all these distractions. And so Paul says, you were running great. All of a sudden, why did you start thinking, hey, you know what I really need? To get circumcised. Paul's like, no, what what are you thinking? Just because these people over here are calling to you, saying, do this, you, you were running great. Don't lose that focus. Maybe you know what that's like. Maybe you remember those times in your life where you, you know, just felt free in Christ, you felt the grace of God. For a lot of us, it feels like that was a distant memory, right? That was mile three, that was mile four of my spiritual journey. And all of a sudden, I just feel that weight again. Paul says, don't get distracted. There's all these hindrances. What, what's stopping you? Maybe you can identify what is that thing that's weighing you down, that's pulling you off course, that's holding you back. What would it be like to just give that to God? Just let Jesus have that. Just turn your focus back and say, I'm, I'm running to Jesus. That's the second Practice of the freedom that we have in Christ, of living free in Christ. The third practice of living free in Christ is this right here, love through service. This is Roman, Roman numeral three on your sermon notes, verses 14 and 15 of verse five. Let me read it for you. For you were called to freedom, brethren, or brothers and sisters, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love Serve one another, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 13, Paul reminds us that you were called to freedom. Think about that for a moment. Let that sink in. You were called by God for freedom. Just say that to yourself. I was called to freedom. Say that to yourself. I was called to freedom. Turn, if somebody's sitting near you, turn to them and say, you were called to freedom. Literally do this. It'll help us to remember this. It'll help us to feel this. You were called to freedom. Just say that to somebody. If there's nobody near you, just say it to yourself. You were called to freedom. You may have lots of callings on your life. Maybe you have a vocational calling. Maybe you were called to be a pastor or a children's worker or a teacher. Maybe you were called to be a parent or a doctor or a lawyer or a mechanic. Maybe there's a vocational calling on your life. Those are genuine. Those are real. Maybe there's another calling on your life, a relationship to a spouse or something else. But whatever your particular callings, your vocational calling, your relational callings, I know, because Scripture says so, that you have this calling on your life. You were called to freedom. It's for freedom that Christ set you free. Jesus died on the cross so you could be free, and so you are called to live free. If you are not living free in Christ, this is a really hard way to say this, but I'm going to say it just so we can hear it. I need to hear this. If you are not living free in Christ, you are being disobedient to your call. Christ called you not to be enslaved to sin, to death, to religion, to anything else in this world. Christ called us to be free. But Paul says this freedom isn't like the world's freedom. Like I'm free to follow any lust of my sinful flesh. Paul used the word flesh. He means our carnal nature, our sinful nature. By freedom, he doesn't mean I, I can do whatever I my sinful heart wants to do. That's not freedom. In Paul's mind, that's just another form of slavery. It's just another thing to enslave our lives. When Paul says freedom, he's like not an opportunity for the flesh, he says, but, and this defines what freedom is, through love, serve one another. What Paul's talking about is that God's grace gets so a hold of our lives, God's spirit so frees us with his love, with his grace, that he loves through us, through service. Not, see, again, that word service can also mean slavery. Not, not slavery like this world-confining institution, system, that's always destroying us, but service like Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. It was his calling. We have a calling. What does that look like? Well, I mean, I think about Kelly Whitcliffe out in the gathering area. She's loving through service. She's running the Together We Rise against hunger team. She's investing in that team. She's helping us raise money and then put together this packing event to send 200,000 meals um, to the most desperately hungry people in the world. And when she's doing that, what do you notice about Kelly? Kelly? She's more impassioned, she's more excited, she's more... I mean, you should see her in staff meeting. When she gets her chance to talk, she's like, come on, this is what we're doing. She's pumped up because the Spirit is working through her to serve through love. I think about people like Tom Lambert. Tom Lambert, do you know him? He's, he is a member of our church, but he's part of this uh, prison ministry called Kairos. I first met Tom when I came here. I was leading a small group, a, a ply group, and he was in the small group. And at the end of the small group, we'd take prayer requests. And his prayer request would be, pastor, team, you know, pray that we might get back into prison. People rarely pray that prayer, but that's Tom's prayer. Pray that a door will open up so I can go back into the prison. Okay. Because he's part of this vision ministry. During, during uh, COVID, they, they closed it off so that they weren't able to go in and encourage the believers in there and the people that they've been investing in, the inmates, the the, the residents in the prison. And so Paul uh, and so Tom's like, pray that I be in there. What, what, is, what does Tom do on his free weekend? He drives down to a prison and Wakefield, Waverly, Virginia, and encourages the people there. I I think about people like uh, Todd Perdue, who's on staff. He helps maintain the building, and all his volunteers. He just comes to me and says, hey, Todd, I want to create a, a turf field out back. I was like, really? Do you have any knowledge, expertise? Uh, I got a team of people that can do this. It's not easy, but we can put this thing together. And they were so excited about doing that. As I think about Cassandra every year that leads our uh, hypothermia ministry at Rising Hope. When, when you get a hold of what Christ has called you to, What it looks like is the Spirit working through you. Now, have you experienced that? See, for a lot of us, it's been a long time since we felt that. But I remember when I was 18, 19, 20 years of age, I was a college student. Nothing made me feel more free than serving on these retreat weekends that I was part of. It was God working through me, right? His love leading me to serve. When you get a hold of what Christ has called you to, it's it's liberating. It's freeing. And so Paul says three practices. Starting with the Galatians, they've slipped back into life. Three practices of living free as Christ has set us free. Standing firm on faith. There's going to be plenty of people, plenty of systems, Plenty of tools in this world that are going to try to knock you off of that freedom, that are going to try to tell you, if you didn't finish that to-do list, you failed today, right? If you didn't meet all those standards, you didn't make it today. Now, there are tools that are trying to confine us, but Christ is saying you're free. Stand firm on that freedom. Number two, uh, running to that prize, which is Jesus, focus. And then number three, Loving through service. Compelled, not by this worldly desire to promote myself, to justify myself, but compelled because God's grace is working through me. Remember, it's for freedom's sake that Christ set you free. Jesus did what he did so you and I could be free. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be the people that he created us to be. Jesus rose from the grave so that we could live free in him. And like these Galatians, if we're not careful, we slip back into this this yoke of slavery again. And Paul's saying, you don't have to live like that. There's a new life. It's by grace. It's by faith. And there's practices that allow us to live that out. And so our prayer is that we would live free as Christ has set us free. Let's pray that that might be so in our lives. Lord God, thank you that you invite us to freedom, more than just invite us, that you call us to freedom, that you've set us free by your grace. And right now, I just know that many of us aren't living in that freedom. We feel that yoke on our on our shoulders. We feel those chains holding us back. We we feel those obligations that, that control our lives. And so I just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work in this place, would work in our lives, that we might feel your hands around us as a hug of a parent that loves us. That we might feel that liberation of that stone being rolled away in an invitation into a new life. That we might feel what it is to have that yoke lifted off of us. Where we can be the way that we were always created to be. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us, starting today, to, to live by that faith. To walk in that freedom. To run toward you. To allow you to live through us. And service this world. Lord, it's for freedom's sake that you set us free. Teach us, Lord, right now to live in that freedom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're gonna share in communion. As we share in communion, it's an outward sign of this inward work that God's doing in our lives and invites us to be part of. God God doesn't invite us to kind of an individualistic Perspective on freedom that we often think about in our world. God invites us to be part of what he's doing, part of his work, part of his team, part of his family. And communion is an invitation to step into that. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he gathered his closest disciples together. He was about ready to go to the cross. But before that cross, he wanted them to understand what the cross was all about. And so he gathered them together, and he took bread, and he broke it, and he gave thanks to God, and he gave it to them. He said, take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After they'd eaten, he took the cup, and again he gave thanks to God. He offered to his disciples, he said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus told his disciples, as you eat this bread, and you drink this cup. You remember my coming until I come again in final victory. And so when we share in this meal, we look back and we think, Jesus did this for us. He died so that we could be his. He died so that we could be free. We look forward to that final victory where we sit with him in this heavenly banquet. And and all of this striving, that part of this world, this sinful, broken world, is finished. We're in this new heaven, this new earth with him. We're living out this life the way that he created us to And we know that right now, through his sustaining power, through his Holy Spirit, we can live into that victory. He's feeding us with his grace. He's working in in our lives through his sacrifice. He's giving us his gifts. And communion is an outward sign of us coming by faith and saying, yes, I receive that gift. Let's pray that may be so. Lord God, pray your Holy Spirit on this bread, on this cup as we receive them. Lord, our prayers that we receive you, your freedom, your grace, your new life, your forgiveness, your hope, your salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you are feeding us right now. You are setting us free right now. You are offering us your hope right now. Give us the confidence of your children to receive your gifts. Now make us one with you and one with each other and one in ministry of the whole world, that, Lord, this world may know you, Lord Jesus, through us, your church. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.